Why did the taxi driver get fired? Any thoughts? Passengers didn't like when she went the extra mile. Oh. And it wasn't fair. Ah! <laughs> that's good. That's good. I won't torture you with anymore. <laughs> so along with uh, what Kathy got, uh, before we get into the actual message, so you might want to take notes um, on this part because it's not in there. Um, I want to read John 17 because the whole ship thing and a glory is really important. I don't know if you guys uh, have heard of a very popular um, church in Australia where the head guy was arrested for not reporting abuse. Some other things have come out of the typical that you see actually in church leadership where a victim is turned into the predator and the one that did the praying is actually the victim. Uh, but there's you know, the Lord is cutting off heads, and what that means is anything that is hidden will be revealed. Uh, the time that we're in, actually all the time that we're in, but specifically now, if we're in a cleaning up phase, a um, where the Lord judge, judgment begins at the house of the Lord, it's just simply a decision for or against. And His decision for or against is whether you've been for Him or against Him. Is that simple? And, and so those that have not proven themselves loyal, all of a sudden now their head or their leadership, their authority is being cut off because he's not going to allow fakes to continue in the kingdom uh, because they'll kill you, quite frankly. I mean, if you look at Ananias and Sapphira and the glory that they walked in, um, it was very early on in a demonstration of a New Testament government of God on earth, and they were taken out because of insecurity, jealousy, etc., and, uh, and so when you were talking about the ships and being in the glory and making those minute adjustments, the thing is is that the Lord will often just whisper. You know, it's kind of like a Elijah when he was, I mean, he just killed however many priests, false priests, priests and, and then one word from Jezebel. And he uh, ran and hid. And... Um, and it didn't happen. She's the one that got eaten by dogs. But uh, he, he takes off because he was used to God interacting with him in a way of hurricane, whirlwind, you know, things like that, shaking. But God was challenging him to a deeper level that only required a whisper. So we have to be very careful of how we interact with him because he will invite us into opportune times to learn him in a new way so if you're let's say like if your personality is a d or an i you may be used to action and energy and all that stuff and tasks and you know all of those things and yet he's calling you into quietness and he's calling you into gentleness if you're an s personality and you're accommodating and humble and nurturing he may be calling you into conflict that produces change right if you're a c maybe he's telling you to stop asking so many questions and rest rest so all of it these minor adjustments are necessary to stay within the cloud but the one thing that's really important is humility and that's what's needed right now 
Humility is a willingness to listen to those around you that God may be using to tell you that you need to make an adjustment. See, often we think humility is just directly our relationship with Father. Well, we trust Father, most of us. We, we understand that He only has for our good, so it's easier to do His minor adjustments. But when He sends someone to you that maybe you don't hold in the esteem or the level that you think you should have them in, all of a sudden you don't listen to that person. So what you're talking about is very relational. God is always relational. And I kept hearing the phrase, all hands on deck. That requires all of us and those we interact with outside of this place to be listening to one another and what they have to say, right? So it may not feel good, but it's very important because that's what Jesus did with his apostles, right? It's like Peter, he's like, well, what about this guy? What's going to happen to him? And Jesus is like, that's none of your business what's going to happen to him. There's a lot of judging that occurs within uh, people in God where we judge each other's motives or we judge each other's actions or we judge someone as not having a place to speak into my life because maybe they're a different personality or maybe I think I'm always right or maybe whatever it is. Whatever it is, you have to relate to one another and understand the personalities. The biggest split that came from no small dispute between Barnabas, the son of encouragement, and Paul was because they didn't understand how each other operated. So you got Paul, who Barnabas' nephew <coughs> went in the middle of something. That's like no way to a D. A D personality will die before they stop something. I mean, it takes a lot to get them distracted off of a goal. So then you have the son of encouragement, Barnabas, who wants to bring him on the next trip. And Paul's like, no, 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 we're not bringing him on the next uh, trip because he's a quitter. So neither one of them budged. Right? And so what happened? They split off. Then later, as Paul matured <coughs> in, in G Jesus and as John Mark matured in the Lord, <coughs> what happened is John Mark became an advocate for Paul and he was one of the few that stood with him at the very end isn't that amazing the only reason John Mark stood with Paul later is because John Mark had that spirit where he was able to forgive and I bet what offended John Mark is you got Paul who was I'm sure quite fiery especially at the beginning of the ministry I mean the guy just got done killing a lot of people right I mean it had been about 15 years but still and so he sees Paul speak blindness on the governor's right-hand man. If you're a sweetheart in the kingdom, you'd be like, he's still a terrorist. You know what I mean? I ain't hanging out with this guy. This guy's nuts. And you know, But he didn't understand the judgment of God. So when you were talking, I heard the phrase, all hands on deck, which means you have to be aware constantly of your relationship with one another, right? You have to be constantly checking in with your thoughts toward one another. Are they good? Are they bad? Are they dismissive? Are they honoring? The other thing is humility plus honor equals glory. The root word for honor in the Hebrew is glory. 
Now, some people be like, well, I operate in the glory all the time because I prophesy or I heal the sick. Or no, 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 those are gifts. They can be given to even a donkey. It has nothing to do with you. You're not special because you operate in a gift. The glory is the manifest presence of God so that when you walk into a place, people feel Him and they want Him. It's His goodness encapsulated in everything that He is. You're in that midst, right? There is no way you're going to walk in His glory if you don't honor everybody. Okay? So that is very important. And then uh, here in, this is a key too, here in John 17, it says, When Jesus had spoken these words, verse 1, He lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given Him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given Him, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your uh, own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Now, on verse 3 where it says, This is eternal life, that they may know you and Jesus Christ. Do y'all know that the way people know Father and Jesus is through us? So you got to make sure the picture you're giving them is the one that he wants given. Because what kept Moses out of the promised land is he presented the wrong picture. Do y'all know that? It wasn't that he got angry. He presented the wrong picture. God said, because I would have been angry at those people too. You know, like if I was the one where God said, hey, I'm going to wipe them all out and make a nation, you know, out of you. Thank goodness, finally. You know, I was wondering when we are going to do this thing. You know, that would have been probably my response. But what it was is God said, I want you to speak to the rock. So they went from striking the rock to I want you to speak to the rock, right? So he wanted to give them a new picture of what it looked like to interact for their need. And so he gets there and he's mad. And he's irritated and he's frustrated and so he hits the rock I think twice was it twice I think he hit the rock twice he was never supposed to hit the rock so he presented a picture of God as if God was angry when he wasn't others will present unsanctified mercy and allow people to walk all over them and excuse every kind of you know slight and mistreatment because God is love that ain't love that's enabling. So the point is, in order to show the world the Father and to show the world Jesus, you got to make sure that the picture you're presenting is the one that he wants you to present at that time. Okay? So then he says in verse 6, I have manifested your name, your character, reputation, and authority to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they've received them, and they've come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Now here's where it gets inter interesting. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but I'm praying for those you have given me, for they're yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are, and I am coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be.
be one, even as we are one. That's important. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you've given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except for the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that it may also be sanctified in truth. Now here's where he's praying for us. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Now, did y'all catch that? The glory is for unity. Unity is for the glory. It's kind of like, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Yes. So the way to walk in and abide in the manifest presence of God, the glory of God, is to have unity. What does that require? That requires if Lisa comes up to me and says, Hey, the other day when we were doing this or that, you were a little bit harsh to that person. Or you weren't listening to what I was asking you. Or whatever it is. I have a choice. I can be like, whatever. You know, you totally misinterpreted everything. I was having a visitation from the Lord during that time. <laughs> you know, whatever. We can make whatever excuse it is. But what am I doing? I'm dismissing her messaging that she's received from me. Does that make sense? Am I preaching to the choir? Can anybody um, pay attention to this? Okay. So, if the, the least of, who we consider the least of these comes up to us and says, when you talk to me this way, or when you treat me this way, what's happening is I'm receiving this message. Here's what I do. Anytime I get that, I take it to the Father. Is there any truth in that? And if he says, no, because this is a heart wounding. So what you can do is you can help him here. Okay. Or if he says yes, what, I have an obligation now. I need to go to that person and say, you received this message, right? This wasn't my heart. I want to explain what I was thinking and feeling. I have a choice to correct. So for example, me and Darina had a conversation. I won't expose uh, Darina, but one thing she says, I didn't want to disappoint. So then I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, did I send a message that there was any potential for her to disappoint? Might have. You know what I mean? Like I had a, she wasn't saying that in a rebuke at all toward me. She was explaining something that she felt. But I had to take that and I took it to my prayer closet and I'm like, wait a minute. I might have sent a message where that was a where it's not a place of safety for her, right? That's what I'm talking about. We have to pay attention to what we're saying to one another. And your vision just, it really, to me, that's what summed it up. Because when you are in the glory, it's going to be unity, it's going to be honor of one another, and it's going to be humility to where when people are saying things, even if they're not 
actually confronting you with something that happened, but they're just saying something. Like in Dorena's text, where I'm like, you know what? I need to examine the message I'm sending. Because if she felt she could disappoint me, then that might be somewhere with other people. And I need to examine that and make sure that's not the case. Does that make sense? That's humility. And so I just wanted to say small adjustments, and more than likely they're relational, and more than likely they're going to come from people that maybe you don't hold in the highest esteem. The final scripture that came to my mind when you were sharing that was... <laughs> was when uh, Josiah... I was... Okay, let me backtrack. I was watching uh, 60 Minutes Australia which 60 minutes is about as left as you can get. Mm -hmm. However, I had already seen some things that kind of bothered me about a particular ministry, and Kent had said, Mom, you got to watch this. I said, okay. And there was a lawyer that defends victims of abuse in churches. Like he's, he doesn't put up with it anymore. And so they'll go, they'll go to court. If you don't handle your business, then we're going to take you to court because, uh, and I think he was like a descendant of Billy Graham. He might have been a grandson or something like that. But anyway, he's been doing this for 30 years, and he said a statement that shocked him. He said, I had heard years ago that the higher up you get in a church, the less you see Jesus. What an indictment. I know. It just like, oh, just cap. I mean, it almost brings me to tears just captured my heart. And I was like, that's terrible. And Lord, how do we you know, keep from that? How do we you know, stay focused on you and all of that stuff? Well, anyway, so you got King Josiah, right? And he led the greatest revival. He was prophesied by name 300 years before he was born through Isaiah. No, through the unnamed prophet that got eaten by the lion because he didn't obey God, remember? Anyway, so he prophesied of Josiah. <coughs> Josiah leads the greatest revival and then his ending is he makes a treaty with Assyria and goes to meet Pharaoh Necho in battle. And Pharaoh Necho, who was a pagan, said, your God told me to fight them. If all Josiah had to do was hear the voice of God in a package he did not honor, and if he would have heard his voice, he could have gone home and lived. Instead, he got mortally wounded and he died. It's humility to hear the voice through the least of these, although there's no least, right? But if you find yourself dismissive or you're not listening to people and what they're telling you, especially if it's repeated, then maybe there's a time that you sit down with the Holy Spirit and ask them what's going on. So unity, unity is so that we can uh, be in the glory, and the glory is so that we can uh, have uh, unity. Father, I desire, verse 24, that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me, and I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me uh, may be in them and I in them. This is right before he was arrested. Yeah, they have uh, deathbed confessions or whatever those are called. This, is, this was on his heart. He knew he was about to be arrested. He knew it. He said, they're going to come for me. The enemy has given an hour of power, and they're going to come for me. And this was what was on his mind. So the highest thing is love God with all your being, but that will be manifested in how you love those in your life. Okay? 
So I just wanted to throw that out because I felt that was a very important thing. And if you look at the ships that leave the glory, what you'll find is your love for one another diminishes. You know, there's like a hardness that comes on you. Um, I just thought they were cold, right? Yeah. They were up cold. and at one point they were in the glory, but they never moved. They mm -hmm. never... And that's moving with what Holy Spirit's doing right. too and being flexible and a new yes. wineskin able to hold. Um, and so I could be tying the ideas I got to your vision that oh, aren't even you. connected, but it, that's just what kind of, you know, came to me. And it is, it's a flexibility. If Holy Spirit right. says, stop what you're doing and do this, that's what you do. If he says, go down this street versus that street, that's what you do. You know, I told Mike this morning, I said, one thing I'm learning is if I struggle and struggle and struggle, like a very simple thing, to get a plumber to do something or to get someone to give me an estimate that I've been waiting on since May for a sprinkler system in the front yard. That's all I want, just a number, right? Whenever those things happen, all of a sudden I'm like, you know, maybe it's the Lord actually putting up a roadblock because I'm not supposed to do business with that person or we're not supposed to do this for that reason because there's a different thing going on. You know what I mean? So I, I've just decided that roadblocks, when I pray and rebuke and all that stuff and they don't get out of the way, I might need to make an adjustment. <laughs> but anyway, it is. It's in the little things, how we treat each other, how we interpret events around us. Before you start, because mm -hmm. we're going to start in 10, aren't we? Yes, First Kings 10. Well, if you look back up into 9, and then uh, I, it would be 21. It says, There was descendants of the nations who the people of Israel had not completely destroyed. So Solomon conscripted them as slaves, and they served as forced laborers to this day. But I thought it was interesting. But Solomon did not conscript, conscript, I'll get it out, any of the Israelites for forced labor. Instead, he assigned them to serve as fighting men, government officials, officers and captains in his army, commanders of the, commanders of the chariots and the charioteers. He appointed 550 of them to supervise the people working on his various projects. I just thought that was interesting. Because I thought, right now, I think people feel like they're just mandated to death. You have to do this. Mm -hmm. We have no say because it's never been voted. None of this stuff has been voted on. Right. We don't have a voice. We feel like we are one of the con con uh, conscripted. The conscript conscripted <laughs> laborers. I, yeah, I'm having trouble with that word today. And I feel like that that is what we've been trying been trying to put us back under as forced laborers, mm -hmm. taking, you know, some rights and oh, liberties, etc., etc. away. Mm -hmm. when <coughs> Solomon here made it, we should be fighting men. We should be governed, we should be officials. But conscripted means you don't have much of a choice. Right. Either, which actually caused his downfall. What is this mask deal? Mm -hmm. yeah. What's his vaccine deal about? Yeah. Has he, anybody had a voice? Has anybody mm -hmm. gotten to vote? Mm -hmm. Has anybody said, it's up to you? No. It's been mandated, and we are right here as slaves to whatever other people have said. Yeah. So if, Sol if Solomon is going by what we, is going today, he would have just said, you have to do this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But he wrote, he pulled them up from slavery and that sense of we have to, we don't have any choice, 
we don't have any options, into we're in charge of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We are one of the, we're the supervisors of the, this labor. We are the supervisors of the government. We, I think it was an NBA star that, wasn't it, that we watched where they won't let him play or something because he wouldn't get the vaccine and he gave a religious exemption. I hope he sues them and takes them to the Supreme Court because there is a reason for the religious exemption and it has aborted baby tissue. So if, if that bothers you on a religious level, you should not be forced to take it. Um, people are like, well, I mean, you know, we have to take measles shots and blah, blah. Yeah, but you're not forced to take a flu shot. COVID is like the flu. You're never going to control it completely. There's another variant that's coming out of Georgia or somewhere. Um, but yeah, yeah. And then I heard uh, I had to do my love is large and incredibly patient quite a bit this weekend. But one of the things that um, kept they kept saying is they want us like Europe. And they're rioting in Europe right now. They want us like Europe. <laughs> that socialized medicine, that, you know, it was very interesting that um, forced, uh, you know, health uh, mandates, the economy, uh, the UN, I guess, when all that was here, there's a lot of European talk. Um, now, do you remember when that was implemented? <laughs> Hillary Clinton. Okay, That's so the global elitism in like Europe. She started going, standing up and saying, we need health care. Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden we have Obama coming into office, and his big thing was health care, and it all came from Hillary Clinton, started to implement But it also yeah. started back when Clinton, who doesn't mind, oh, came no. into <laughs> office. I'm sorry, did I? So it's all right. Horrible. It's okay. And so it really did start because I like, I actually go through where things come from. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so that everything comes together. Yes. And I was like, oh, so this started back in this time. Oh, yeah. And then you can see them on platform. And she actually stood up mm -hmm. um, when she was brought into, what was it, um, Secretary of State? Yeah. And she started the implementing and saying that um, Europe was like this. Mm -hmm. We should be like them so we can all be one. Yeah. But yeah, that, they tried and that's something. where it came from. They tried, well, you know, she was going to be the co-president. Right. And then it was all broken up when she did, I mean, her tantrum, because she was told, just like, and I hate to say this, just like when Bush was brought down, it was when he was given the wrong information to discredit him, and he took the deal. Mm -hmm. yeah. And he was given the windmills. Obama was given Netflix. Yeah. Guess what Biden has been given? Hmm. Electric cars. Mm. They get a big portion. That's their buyout. Yeah. But get, I ask everyone, well, what was Trump given? Nothing. Mm -hmm. He didn't take the deals. So they removed him out of office, brought in Biden. Mm -hmm. And that, but it all started back in the first ones that were brought in, and it started with, and they were, got, they were given the deal, they took the deal from China, and that was the Clinton. Well, so even back in the day with right, Rockefeller and the Rothschild, right? Um, when you look back at the founding documents in the Federalist Papers, 
there was already it's a European idea that was trying to infiltrate America and take away our rights. And so it's a very interesting thing. It's uh, world, the world wars, all that stuff. You can get into where the real reasons behind them. But it is. It's a very interesting time we're living in. And I, I think, it, I, yeah, it was on the Wednesday prayer call where I, I was stressing to everybody, uh, they're not going to stop. So we're going to have to step up. They're not going to stop, and it's going to be the Black Rope Regiment that will um, stop this, and that's going to be the people of God. Well, but, they're all still in office because they all have control of Biden. They tell him what to do and when to do it? Well, of course. He's got Alzheimer's. He's dumber than a sack full of hammers. And he took the deal. And that's, um, that's a part of uh, Scripture, in my opinion. Is are you taking the deal or aren't you? Well, he's China yeah. Joe yeah. for a reason. And I'm over yeah. here going, I guess maybe I'm, I'm, I try not to be such a warrior, a warrior filled with wisdom. Who has regional authority. Yes, I love that scripture. I, just, I stand up and I think, okay, is this a deal, Lord, that I'm supposed to take? Or but not? you're wearing your sheriff badge today. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's so funny because when I was presented this in 1988, uh -huh. I lived in Texas, and I had just finished three years of education, and this is what you're given. And then when you educate, you put your your badge on, okay, because it gives it shows what you've gone through. But I never had anyone ask me about my. Um, this pen until last year and I was standing in line at Alsip's every single time I put this on now. People uh, mention it? Huh? Yeah, it's probably a sign that makes you wonder. It does <laughs> and the reason why is because they do not like authority. Yeah. They do not like being told. They all want, what is it that we're talking about with, with Hillary starting all of this? We're not the same. We are not Europe. Mm -hmm. Why is it that I have to stand up and explain a pen when all it means is that I accomplish something? Well, if you look at the younger generation, they seem to sometimes like to be told what to do. So it is going to be a, a urgent education, is what I call it. But it is what we'll be getting into. Which I like that topic, though. It's my favorite topic when we get to go back and figure out where it started. Mm -hmm. You would like Rodney Howard Brown's uh, books. I do. I like figuring out where it comes from. So we're in First Kings chapter 10, which kind of goes along with some of what we're discussing here uh, and the wisdom that's needed. We'll read verse 1. I'm going to read in the Amplified. Just release healing right now into Darina's body. I command her eyesight, her body, everything to line up with the Word of God, vision to go back to normal. I destroy all side effects of any medication. I stop any potential seizures in Jesus' name. I command a complete and total healing right now. I bind up every devil in the name of Jesus. I bind up all side effects of all medication in Jesus' name. I rebuke uh, migraines. I rebuke migraines right now. In the name of Jesus, high blood pressure. I command it to go now in Jesus' name. Go down. Go down in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Are your eyes normal yet? We're getting there. 
Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Good? Okay. Let me know anything. It's weird. Okay. All right. So we're here in verse 1, and it says, Now when the queen of Sheba heard... Did I just call her Sheba? Yeah. Sheba. I'm sorry. I My descriptive jumped over there. Heard... <laughs> Of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. Now, that's a very, very interesting phrase. When she heard the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. In the Amplified, it says, When the Queen of Sheba heard of the constant connection of the fame of Solomon with the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions problems and riddles this is interesting so this is telling us that Solomon's fame was intrinsically connected with the name of the Lord which we've learned is the I am it's his presence right he is that he is the self-existent one the one where he says I am with you okay so that like Joseph if you look at Joseph the reason he was so um, successful is because God was with him. You know what irritated God with Moses when he said, hey, I want you to go and deliver the people? He kept putting up excuses when God kept saying, but I'll be with you. I'll be with you. That's, that's all you need to know. I will be with you. And Moses couldn't get that in his head. So when you look at the success and also the failure of those in the kingdom, it, it was the difference between those who recognized God was with them and those who did not. And so we have to be presence-centered. I like what Bill Johnson says. He'll be going through his day and then he'll stop. He'll pause. And he'll turn his affection toward Father. And he'll just stand there or think about him for just a few moments. Well, I'll let you know I love you. You know? And then he'll move on. That's what he does. He just pauses turns his affection, and then he moves on. So here we have Solomon who has tapped into a connection with his presence. So to remove his name back in that day meant to re remove his presence. Remember that I have put my name on this place. No matter where you are, if you turn toward the temple where my name is, I will hear you, right? Then his name, when it was his presence was removed, the temple was destroyed. Okay? So his name is always connected to his presence, which you will name him Emmanuel. God is with us, right? So it's a very interesting idea here. What I find most interesting is that the way Solomon ruled, it was so full of wisdom that he attracted world leaders. They would come in just to hear him. And, uh, and so she came to him with these hard questions. Now, what this means is she had intelligence. She's pretty smart herself, right? The Queen of Sheba. So she's like, you know, there's just these pressing questions or maybe she had some of her people do riddles. Or maybe she was having some issues she didn't know how to deal with. Exactly. In her country. 
Yeah, so she brings these things to Solomon and she questions him. And he answers all of them and of course she's astounded. Well, for us, we have the wisdom of God inside us, right? So Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. And uh, Jesus Christ is Emmanuel. Jesus Christ is I am on the inside of us. So I love that. There should be no excuse for us to not walk in wisdom. There should be no excuse for us to not be successful. We may have decisions we make that uh, maybe detour us a little bit, but we can always ask for help and he won't make fun of us. Now here's the thing. Because we have Jesus also, we are able to solve complex issues. We are able to solve complex issues in all the seven mountains where you can have everybody called to help someone with the problem and no one can solve it, we should be the ones that not only can solve the problem, but we can describe the problem in detail, how to solve it, and how not to repeat it in the future. And I love operating in that. I'm sure y'all have all felt it, and I've talked about it before, where you know you're operating in wisdom because all of a sudden, it's like a light, like everything gets brighter, and it's like, ding, on the inside, and you know this is what we should do, right? And then you deliver the wisdom. You know, I'll tell my client, this is what we need to do. It's like, okay, let's do it. Okay. And then when I'm outside of that, all of a sudden I'm like, man, I hope that works. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> but it's a very interesting dynamic. So she comes, she asks him these questions. He is tied to the name of the Lord, the presence. So in verse 2, she came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue. Is that how you say it? Okay. Just want to make sure. After Sheber. <coughs> with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. And Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. Just real quick. Um, she came to him with precious stones and gold. Did he need it? No. Yeah. One of my favorite things is uh, giving as a king to kings. Um, I remember I took um, a lady out to eat one time. To, we just wanted to catch up. And they make more money than we did at the time. But the Lord already told me, he said, I want you to buy her lunch because no one ever does. Uh -huh. I'm like, oh, all right. And so we sit down, we have our visit, you know, and it, uh, I had whispered, I'm real sly. I'm like a ninja. I said, hey, give the ticket to me. And she didn't even notice, you know. And he's like, okay. And so the ticket comes, and you know, hey. And she's like, man, you know, I need to get checked out. I said, we're already checked out. You bought my lunch? I said, yes. She goes, no one ever buys my lunch. Everybody wants me to buy their lunch. I said, I know. <laughs> you know? So there's something about giving not because someone's poor, which that's a blessing, something I absolutely love, but this type of giving is honor. And really, if you think about it, giving the working believer offering is honor too, but you understand what I'm saying. You're giving, you're, you're filling a place where there is lack in a person's life. When you're giving as a king or a queen to another person that does not need it, now it's an honor situation. And that's where the glory, right, can dwell. And so it's a very interesting dynamic here. The phrase where it says, there was nothing hidden from the king, implies that as they were conversing, 
the Holy Spirit is providing Solomon on the fly, in real time, with answers, insight, and solutions that she needs in that moment. Isn't that cool? And like I said, I get to do that a lot in my business. But So it's literally, you're, you're sitting there, you're listening to people, whether you're in a coaching or mentoring session or you're counseling a friend or whatever it is, and you just know. And you know what also it feels like? It feels like time slows. Like you're in a river or water and you're just moving in this anointing and then it's done. You know, and that's when later you're like, hmm. <laughs> but the thing is, is that he's literally hearing as she's talking and he's uh, getting the answers. He's providing them to her, uh, her and he looks brilliant. The only person that's brilliant is Holy Ghost, right? So then it says in verses 4, and it must have been astounding because of her response. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, now look how wisdom applies, the food on his table, the seating of his officials, the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no breath in her. Isn't that strange? Like, it doesn't mention the house of the Lord that's covered in gold. You know, or or even like the presence. Like, you know, she felt the presence, you know, was slain in the spirit. None of that's there. It was the house he lived in, the food on his table, the seating of his officials, how his servants attended, their clothing, the cupbearers, and the burnt offerings that he offered. It was how he did life. Isn't that cool? You know, some people like my friend uh, back in the early days when I knew her and her husband, they'd have disagreements because he'd be happy, you know, sitting on cardboard or using a cardboard box as a table and sitting on lawn chairs in like a, you know, hundred and something, two hundred and something thousand dollar house. And she's like, no, you know, we're going to entertain people where we need to have at least, you know, you know, furniture, you know. And he would get on to her for making the house beautiful and, you know, all of those things. And she is frugal still to this day, even though they're probably millionaires. And uh, so uh, I remember reading this years later, and I said, you operate in wisdom. That's what that is. You operate in wisdom. You're able to take something and make it beautiful where it reflects the presence of the Lord. Then later when it was time to sell the house, guess what he was bragging on? You know, uh, uh, custom designed and decorated. You know, I mean, professional landscaping. Guess who that professional was? His wife, you know. So I don't know if you ever appreciate what she brought, but sometimes how you do life, how you talk to people, how you treat people, how you dress. Now, I'm never going to be any fancy schmancy person. You know what I'm saying? I will always be from Texas, jeans and comfortable is going to be for me. But if I have to deck out and dress up, I will. And I will walk in that room and I will schmooze and I'll do whatever I need to do. And I'll go home. Thank goodness. Like when I went to a legislative dinner in Santa Fe. Yeah, you're, I'm just trying to, you know, be cool. And I'm sitting there and they have all this fancy, you know. And I'm like, I don't even know what they said, what the legislator said. I'm just like, what is this spoon for? Right. <laughs> the whole time. 
take home cookie I never figured it out. <laughs> and so they have like, you know, I knew what the forks were. My dad Are you taught me that. The one above? Yes. It's the soup. But there was no soup. It doesn't matter. It is the proper. The mystery is solved. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you have yeah. a sandwich. Okay, but they always put that in there. Well, eating. and it seemed like a, yeah, a little spoon. You know, and so, and I knew what the little fork was for, and I knew what the next fork was for. I knew not to saw my meat. You know, my dad had taught me don't do that. You know, the two, um, the two knives. Have you ever been where they have two knives? That would be in your, in your upper. No, area. they did not have two knives. I would have probably had a panic attack right there if they had two knives. One would be for either your meat. Your seafood, and then the next one is butter. butter. <gasps> that's right. Butter, I've seen the little butter. ones for butter. Yeah. Yep, yep. I knew what that was for. And I was even sitting at the table, like looking at everybody. Else. You know how you do with Tess? Just trying. Okay, is anybody else using their spoon? No one was using their spoon. <laughs> you know, my mother gave us that ability, and I'm going to tell you, I it opened so many oh, yeah. doors. But now it's not really used. But I can actually tell you what it's for. Yeah, but I well, use it. and you know what? Sometimes, you it's know, if stuff. it does help to be in certain places yeah. to see how people yes. think and live uh, and to get a picture of maybe where the Lord wants to take you. Now, I'm not saying He wants to take you where you have all these tiny little spoons. I'm just saying <laughs> that, let me put it this way. I am raising up a prophetic company of marketplace apostles, solutionaries, and influencers who it. will solve complex issues in the seven mountains and have the ear of kings. Guess who still live this way? Kings. Yes. So you got to know the culture. You got to know the language. You need to know how they think. They think rich people think absolutely, completely different. They do not think the same way as the average Joe. Okay. So it's very important to understand this that a lot even where you're at in your sphere the ability to live well and to live from a place of dominion you know the the uh, proverbs uh, at the beginning of the passion translation i think it's sayings for dominion something like that that this the sayings and proverbs are for us to have dominion and uh, so there are things that we can do in the way we live they can uh, reveal Jesus Christ. And we don't want to go to the other side where people are like, well, I'll just live in a hut in the middle of nowhere, blah, blah. If God calls you to live in a hut with a homeless, go ahead. But if He doesn't, then live. If, if, if you are called to live in a hut with homeless people in California, because that's where a lot of them are, in Seattle, Austin, if you want to go there, Seattle, then your hut should be the best hut there is. <laughs> It should have the Holy Spirit all over it. You should regularly replace your hut. You know, you. I mean, seriously. Hey, I get to say that I show my boys the proper way to sit a table. There you go. We had one every Saturday of the month, the rest of the month. We had rich and famous dinner. Rich and famous dinner. When I was 13, my dad took me to K-Bob's. And, uh, and I wasn't even Christian. I was heathen. He sits me down. We, he orders steaks, you know. And he's like, all right, Lidlin. He said, one day, you're going to eat with fancy people. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay. And uh, he says, well, I've got to show you how to cut your steak. I was like, okay. So he, you know, gets it. He shows me. And he starts, and I'm like, man, this is taking forever. You know, because I, you know, get my steak. Anyway, but even back then when I was 13, I had no word for it, but I knew it was true. 
I knew what he said was true. It's so interesting. And then fast forward to that dinner, I'm like, thank God for K-Bobs and thank God for Dad. You know? Because I would have looked like some hillbilly from backwoods of Tennessee, which actually is where my family's from. Wheeler Cove over in Tennessee, if you ever want to know. But anyway, it was just neat that Dad showed me that because he had wisdom. And so wisdom in how we live can sometimes be very important. Okay. Now, uh, the... um, phrase where it says she had no breath in her okay everything had such excellence on it that she was overwhelmed that's what it means she saw true wisdom that can only come from presence displayed so wisdom is centered in presence that's why when you're operating in wisdom it feels like everything slows down because all of a sudden you're now in eternity right because God's eternity. And so you're in Him, and all of a sudden it feels like you're just suspended, right? And then once He lifts, then you're outside of that place, at least posi- not positionally, but uh, physically. So she saw wisdom that came from the presence of God, and she wanted that same wisdom-based presence. So it says in verse 6, And she said to the king, The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom, but I didn't believe the reports until I came. And my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I heard. Now here's the next aspect of wisdom. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king, that you may execute justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king a hundred and twenty talents of gold, and a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again came such an abundance of spices as these than the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. I love, 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 love this. Okay, so here we see wisdom and prosperity coupled together again. Remember, we've seen that a lot in the Proverbs. Wealth is just one part of being prosperous, okay? That's a very uh, important part, but it's not all of it. It also is good, well-pleasing, fruitful, morally correct, proper, convenient. Now, that's an interesting thing because a, one, a lot of things I tell my business clients is convenience. Now, you don't want to be so convenient that people start taking advantage of your convenience and you get sloppy in your work. But making things easy for people, I think, is what I like to say. Making it pleasant and easy when they come to you. Abundant, profitable, and pleasant to the senses. Now, this is where design can come in. You know, can you imagine if we, uh, you know, have a place that... Remember the walls when we first moved in here? They looked like dead people's skin. Remember that? Mm -hmm. It's like a morgue. Y'all remember? It's awful. And I'm like, yeah, no. No, we can't. People are going to come in here and think they're in a coffin. We can't do that, so we painted the walls. You know, we we added shiplap over there. I, you know, there's all we painted the fireplaces. I mean, there are things that we did to make this a pleasing place. So that's part of it. The word is embodied in the declaration of "It is good" during creation. Wisdom also brings happiness. I love that. If you want to be happy, get wisdom. If you want happy staff members. Get wisdom. You want a happy family? Get wisdom. 
In Proverbs 8, 34 to 35, in the New King James, it said, says, Blessed is the, is the man who listens to me. Now, this is wisdom speaking. Watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. See, everybody's loved unconditionally. Not everyone has the same favor. One of the ways you get the favor of God is wisdom. You seek her out. You search her out. Now, get this. This should make you happy. Happiness is, quote, a person's state of bliss. The Hebrew word is always used to refer to people, and it's never used to, uh, of God because he's already blissful, right? In Proverbs, this blissful, blissfulness is frequently connected with wisdom, also used to describe a person or nation who enjoys a relationship with God. Happiness is sourced in presence-based wisdom. So I like how a nation can be happy that's in relationship with God. Obviously, the opposite is the case. So you want to look at America? What are we doing? We're not living in the wisdom of God, right? It's now essential demonic wisdom. So a lot of us ain't happy. And uh, there's not a peacefulness where everybody's living in their homes and neighborly and going to work and you know, taking care of their families and uh, having barbecues and, you know, spending time with the Lord. A lot of that's being diminished because of our rulers. Because like my dad always said, poop travels downhill. <laughs> it's all you need to know to be a plumber. So, <laughs> whatever, you know, I don't have to have Biden in my house to mess with my life, right? His policies can make life more of a challenge. So part of wisdom is loosening people from bondage, right? So here we have happiness sourced in the presence of God. Solomon's officials and servants also benefited from hearing Solomon's wisdom, I'm sure, every day. They got to hear him talk, so that made them more wise. And all of this is because the Lord delighted in Solomon. I wonder if he really knew how much the Lord delighted in him. I'm not sure he did. But Sheba recognized that Solomon's role as ruler was to execute justice and righteousness, and that's the role of any government. Now, the 120 uh, talents of gold, the spices, all that, prosperity and wealth was just poured into his life as promised. Remember, because God said, because you didn't ask for wealth, riches and all that, I'm going to give it to you anyway. And uh, so here we have Sheba giving him more than any ruler had given up to this point. Jesus says we cannot serve God and mammon, right? We'll either love one and hate the other. Well, the word mammon is the Chaldean word that's actually used to describe a deity. Unfortunately, many translations put wealth, riches, or money in place of mammon, creating a fear of such things or a false doctrine that money and wealth and things is evil. But here's the definition of mammon. It's wealth deified, meaning you start worshiping money. Okay, so the, it's not money itself. Money is neutral, but the heart that possesses it is not. So if the heart that possesses riches has deified money, that person's in trouble. But like Abraham, who's one of the wealthiest, so was Jacob, so was Isaac, their, their possession of wealth did not possess her heart. 
God possess her heart. Therefore, they use her well for his good. And then, not only that, but if money itself was so bad, why would God give Solomon a whole bunch of it? You know what I mean? It doesn't make sense. That would be child abuse. So I just want to bring that in there because here's the deal. Wisdom naturally brings wealth. When I solve my clients' problems, they pay me for it. It's that simple. And people are willing to pay handsomely for you solving their problems. So it's just a natural response. When you help someone and they want to bless you with some type of gift, take it. And I thank you. We know who did it. God. You don't need to take the glory for you helping them, but take the gift. Thank you. And then the next question, God, is this mine or do I give it away? That's the next question. Because a lot of people, they are so intent on not possessing any worldly possessions at all that what if God has given you a gift that he wanted to see you enjoy? And then you just give it away, right? Other times, we hold on to things that actually belong to someone else. So it's very important. Is this my gift? Do you want me to enjoy this? Yes. Thank you. No. I want you to give it to so-and-so. Okay. And then you just pass it on. So be careful on that because I've seen people where they're giving will get to the point where they're giving away things. God's like, hey, I gave that to you for you to enjoy. All right. Now, verses 11 through 13. Moreover, the fleet of Hiram, which brought gold from Ophir, uh, a very great am uh, amount of almug wood and precious stones. And the king made of the almug wood supports for the house of the Lord and for the king's house. Also, is it liars or leers? I would say leers. And harps for the singers. No such almug wood had come or been seen to this day. And King Solomon gave to the queen of Sheba all that she desired whatever she asked besides what was given her by the bounty of King Solomon. So she turned and went back to her own land. Okay, Almig wood seems very important to put here. <laughs> so I'm like, what the heck is Almig wood? Because <laughs> it's, it's mentioned several times, right? It was a rare wood. And uh, so I, I'm not sure. The only thing I can think of is that it must have been pretty darn special to be used to build the house of the Lord. And, or to support the house of the Lord and make instruments of worship. So I instantly thought of us. You know? I instantly thought of us. And let me phrase that. Not just the hub. I mean just people that are worshipers. You know, if there's anything you can learn outside of love, worshiping God is probably one of the best pursuits. Um, because there are those that dwell in Zion and those that dwell in Jerusalem those that dwell in Zion dwell in both Zion and Jerusalem meaning Zion is where David's tabernacle was and that is true worship right does it have any description this one this field says red sandalwood Sandalwood. Yes. Uh, uh, the wood is hard, heavy, close grained, and of a fine red color. Yeah. Red sandalwood. Yeah, I think it's worshippers. And uh, so, anyway, I just thought that was interesting. They support the house of the Lord. And that's why, you know, with worship, we go long, and there's a reason. Because that's the only time that's for Him. And so, if you find your mind wandering, 
<clears throat> or you feel an urge to self-interrupt and get on your phone or whatever it is, when you say no to that and you focus in on the Lord, it's an opportunity to go deeper into worship. Because eventually you get to a point where you don't even need music. You know what I mean? It doesn't even have to be good music. Now, I'm still learning how to worship Him when I hear country Christian, right? But other than that, other than that, I'm doing good. Okay, let's finish up. Now, she leaves, and then it describes God's, or Solomon's great wealth. Now, the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold. I thought that was interesting. Besides that which came from the explorers and from the business of the merchants and from all the kings of the west and from the governors of the land. Now, King Solomon made 200 large shields of beaten gold. 600 shekels of, shekels of gold went into each shield. And he made 300 shields of beaten gold. Three minus of gold went into each shield. And the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. The king also made a great ivory throne and overlaid it with the finest gold. The throne had six steps, and the throne had a round top, and on each side of the seat were armrests and two lions standing beside the armrests, while twelve lions stood there, one on each end of the step on the six steps, the like of which has never been made in any kingdom. All King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None were of silver. Silver was not considered as anything in the days of Solomon. For the king had a fleet of sheep from Tarshish, that's such a funny name, Tarshish, at sea with the fleet of Hiram. Once every three years, the fleets, fleet of the ships of Tarshish used to come bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. Thus, King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom, and the whole earth, get this, the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind. Every one of them brought his, brought his present articles of silver and gold, garments, myrrh, spices, horses, and mules, so much year by year. And Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots, 12,000 horsemen, whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. And the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone, and he made cedar as plentiful as the sycamore of the whatever. And Solomon's import of horses from Egypt and Kew, and the king's traders received them from Kew at price or wholesale. A chariot could be imported from Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse from 150, and so through the king's traders they were exported to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. So the main thing is he was living in wealth so extreme that, it, I mean, it, it would probably be breathtaking. Now, this is, and we'll get into this next week, but you know what I was thinking? The Bible in Deuteronomy told kings not to multiply horses, women, or chariots. And don't go down to Egypt to get your horses either. What was he supposed to do with all this? Have you ever thought about that? He didn't ask all these people to bring him all this stuff. Now, the traders were bringing the horses from Egypt and stuff. He probably should have had a law against it. But what was he supposed to do with all this stuff? So, I mean, was he giving it away? You know, I mean, how much gold can you collect? What, what are you supposed to do with it? I think any person 
that is destined for wealth. Now remember, wealth is relate uh, is um, uh, not relational. Well, it is relational, but relative. What is wealthy for one is penance to another. Okay, but maybe I don't know. Maybe it should have been when he got all of this stuff that was coming in that he gave it out. I don't know. It's just an interesting thing of where the Bible says don't do this, but then you got all these people bringing you the very thing the Bible said you're not supposed to collect. Y'all have any thoughts? I don't think that the wealth is really the purpose. I think it's the journey that I, my opinion, this is my opinion, I've noticed that people want wealth and they want to jump right there Mm -hmm. But there is a journey to that that really makes it when you get to a certain point that you can say, thank you, Lord. But yeah. If you do not understand, the journey is the work. Mm -hmm. It yeah. isn't the material. It's not the material status. It's not the, it's not the gold. It is actually the journey that brings you to that point. Right. I well, do, I'll disagree slightly. Because I think at this point, Solomon was the king. Sheba said, hey, I've heard that God is with you because of all your wealth. Well, yeah. That was yeah. a marker that he, he was given this wealth, and it was a marker that God was with him. And that he, that, there's more to that. Yeah. But not that for unbelievers. There wasn't more to it at that point. Right. Well, she, she came to was explore. She came I don't to think there's any disagreement. I think there's actually two separate well, right. ideas. Yeah. They're joined together. Because the journey is the biggest True. wealth. But the wealth did attract the, the world right. that opened the door right. for them to hear presence, right? right? So to me, this is why I always say, your wealth has to have a kingdom assignment. It's simply a vehicle. That's all it is. It's a vehicle. It's access. Uh, and so, like for the prophetic word I've received concerning the wealth me and Michael possess, it is to raise up marketplace apostles. Um, on the other side of that, we're also enjoying wealth. We're not going to be religious and not enjoy it. But I, I understand that I have a kingdom purpose assigned to it, but it also will be access to the people I need to have access to. So it's both. If you do not have a heart that was processed through the journey, you can't, you understand, can't understand it, it nor use it well. Own. Yeah. And so with Solomon, that's my question. It's like, how is he supposed to stop? The natural response to being in wisdom and presence is to bless, unless they're demonically possessed and then they'll want to persecute you. So, other than that, when, when you solve people's problems, they want to pay you in some way. How was he supposed to manage all that wealth? See, that's what I'm saying. And that's what I saw in wealth in people. I hear this all the time about wealth. But what I've come to realize is that when you inherit your wealth, mm -hmm. as he did, he did, there is no way... <laughs> that any more wealth would actually make him happy. Yeah. So his journey in his life was his wealth. Oh, that's interesting. And not the fact that he was given all this stuff because what happens is corruption 
from people that weren't raised in wealth, you see corruption coming from not everyone desires, desires, desires mm -hmm. these, I call it five cents. I explain that. <laughs> I explain this to even my siblings. Everyone wants everyone's five cents. Mm -hmm. The journey is when you've already had five cents and it's given to you, where do you go? How do you get your five cents? You have to get it through the journey and be able to give it out to other people because they weren't raised with five cents. So they'll want everyone else's five cents. Yeah. So corruption, in my opinion, comes from the fact that you haven't found your five cents. Yeah. Find your five cents. Yeah, and if you look at Solomon, you know, his purpose was to build the house. He's done. What do you do? And so there was no vision going past that point. And uh, so I, I don't know. There were just that was, those were just thoughts I had because you know it's like you've got to have a kingdom assigned purpose. And and he actually had a head start because David came from the field, became extremely wealthy, collected everything that was needed for the the, the temple because he had a heart for God's presence. Solomon, it didn't quite translate. Right. And uh, anyway, <clears throat> it's just thoughts I had because there had to be a way where he could have been a conduit where that went out. And maybe he was. Well, I don't they know. Were after him. That's what I'm always wondering is what happened to his five cents. Well, and what's interesting is after his death, well, no, right before, all of a sudden he had enemies and he was having to take that money and put it toward battles. But yeah, it just, you know, one of the most dangerous places you can be if you don't grasp that okay so where Sheba said it's obvious that God delights in you right because in, in the marker for her that God delighted him was in wealth the wealth had nothing to do with his delight the Israel or the, the Jewish people made the same mistake remember when the Lord said it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than that was a camel to go through the eye of a needle uh, what was he saying the camel had to remove burdens and shuffle on its feet by humility to get through the tiny little gates. That's what he was saying. That a rich person who takes pride in their wealth will probably not go to heaven. And, and so here you have this situation where, you know, the disciples are all, what? We thought wealth was a sign God was pleased with you. And he's shocking them by saying it has nothing to do with it. So anyway, it's a paradox. It's a very interesting paradox. But if you understand wealth must have a purpose and you hang on to it lightly and you allow God to take you through the process to prepare you for it, you'll be safe. And always staying closely tied to your need for Him regardless of financial status is very, very important. Well, and even rich people today in America, I've seen the statistics, I can't remember what they are, but it's like 80% of charities are, are funded through these richer entrepreneurial type people mm -hmm. that need a purpose for that money. Mm -hmm. I mean, like you said, some of them inherited have no purpose, no. Right. but if but they give so that that money can have a purpose. I think it's they or a tax runoff. Right. Yeah. yeah. But um, <laughs> but it is at least it's going into something productive. So um, and every person has 
a different idea of what wealth is. Right. Every single person has a different idea of what rich and people who think rich, what is that? No, wealthy is higher than rich. To me, wealth is uh, encompasses all the goodness of God. Yes. I mean, it's good relationships. It's peace. It's uh, having more than enough. It's the ability to give to those who don't. I mean, it's there's just so many things. It's physical health. I mean, how the heck can you enjoy wealth if you don't have any physical health? You know, uh, so it's all those things. I mean, you can look and see people that are billionaires and their marriages fall apart. They well, don't have a relationship. Yeah, there's no the relationship. The woman that sat with you and the greatest joy she probably had that year was you paying for her meal. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That is yeah. wealth. Yeah. So it's, uh, I agree with you. There's definitely a difference between riches and wealth. But, um, well, let's speak enough. Let's uh, pray, give our tithes and offerings, and uh, Father, we thank you so much that uh, your glory now is on the inside of us, according to uh, Colossians 1, 28 and 29, that uh, in Christ we have the expectation of glory. That's Christ in us. And uh, he is the epitome of all wealth. He's the epitome of all blessing. He's the epitome of all happiness. He is the wisdom of God. And I pray that over this next week that you... Uh, help each one of us to have a tangible experience and interaction with wealth. I mean, I'm, well, wealth, but wisdom is what I meant, Father. Wisdom. That thing that goes off on the inside, whether it's a personal thing that we're seeking an answer to, whether it's a conundrum, uh, whether it's someone that they have an issue or a problem that they don't have answers for, uh, whether it's in a business type uh, setting. I ask, Father, that Every single one of us will be able to have an experience of wisdom today uh, and this week so that we can begin to learn and recognize what it looks like and operate in even more of it because, Father, it is wisdom that takes cities. And you said in order to possess cities, we must learn how to have money, make money. So wealth is also involved in that and wisdom. And I ask that you join the two in a way because it says... Father, uh, even Solomon wrote this, that you don't give blessings with sorrow. And uh, so help us steward, temporary ruler, over the things that you give us in a way that demonstrates your presence. That's the most important thing, Father, for your name to be shown in everything that we do, how we live, everything, all of our decisions, what we drive, where we live, how we live, what we wear, how we help others, all of those things, practical things, not in a snooty, you know, highfalutin, pooping in a high cotton type way. But Father, just the uh, humility that comes from recognizing that all good things are from your hand. And Father, I pray that all those areas that are deficit maybe of any wisdom, whether it's relationships, whether it's our health, whether it's, uh, uh, Father, how we manage our emotions, whatever it is, Father, where we need wisdom, I ask that you spotlight those and help us to begin to walk in wisdom in those areas. And all you're getting, get wisdom, get understanding. Uh, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And so I pray, Father, that you help us in these areas. And we know that wisdom is giving our tithes and offerings to you. Not out of law. No, no legal obligation whatsoever. We give as kings to a king. Out of honor. And so, Father, this morning, we ask that you and Jesus receive our tithes and offerings in the spirit that they're given. 
And we thank you so much for the ability this past week that we've had to generate wealth in uh, the kingdom of darkness. And now we're translating it into the kingdom of light. We give you honor. We give you glory. Thank you for the words this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.